This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. And this is Jesse. And I'm Jack Ward from Sonic Society. Sonic hey, Society. Yeah. Very nice. And, 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 and Electric Vicuna Productions, I suppose. Right. Sure. And the library of Jack and Shannon. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. So. Sonic Gold. You've been and podcasting for a while. Yeah. It's, we just finished our 200th uh, regular season episode, and this week coming up is our 250th episode of pod, of all shows we've ever done, including our summer shows for the Sonic Society. So oh, that's wow. kind of cool. Wow, it's it's wow. pretty impressive. It's It's basically been completely weekly, right, for... Yeah, five it's years? for over five years now. Yeah, my goodness. I think I've heard every episode of uh, the regular show in the regular feed, uh, and I've heard some of Sonic Gold. I think I'm... some of the Library of Jack and Cannon, but when I realized that it wasn't going anywhere <laughs> because it stopped, I, 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 I stopped. I think I'm called the old man of podcasting right now, so. <laughs> <laughs> But no, the Jeff, I'm sorry about the library, Jack and Shannon. I will get back to that. See, this was my attempt to try and force Shannon to finish her novel and get hers to do it by saying, well, you know, I'm not going to do any more until you do. And then she goes, fine. <laughs> and that didn't work. It just no. didn't work at all. So I'm going to go back and finish The Age of Adventure because uh, I've had a lot of interest from people. And most of it is done. I'm doing some editing for some of it. I certainly could go and do put a couple more episodes out. Sure. And I'm really excited about the story, so I, I really want to get the other two books out as well. Yeah, and this cool. is time-intensive stuff you're doing, too. It's not oh, um, yeah. like we do, where we record and then uh, put a front and an end on it and throw it out there. Um, you know, I was actually thinking about this. I think audio drama is the, is the most time-intensive stuff. It's the hardest stuff to do in podcasting. Period, and I and I I would say that's the only thing that would would compare would make it would be harder is video audio drama because I don't even think video casting <laughs> video I'm audio not, drama is like regular TV drama or something. That's right? right, video audio drama, video drama. Yes, <laughs> yes. no, I, I I think, but I mean podcasted video drama, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think that would be harder, obviously, but even just regular video casts aren't nearly as time that's true. as audio. Drama. Yeah, without question. Without question, right. and, and your your audio dramas are really well put together. I have to say, I listened to uh, just this week. Which one did I listen to? The one about the lawyer, Phil Morris, Celestial oh, Lawyer. Thanks, man. Loved That's an it. old. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that was it. on my recommendation. Yes, it was. Jesse <laughs> said, "Hey, okay. you need to try this one." And um, there's yeah. it's funny. What are people's favorites are generally not so much my favorites, and what are my favorites are generally not so many people's favorites. Uh-huh. And I love Morris. I I think it's there's and there's a story behind how that whole storyline came. But it's it's a uh, it was one of my favorites that I'd love to do a series of. And there's another guy who listens who's a, a longtime listener who's a lawyer, and he loves Phil Morris, and he wishes he had his briefcase. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That was yeah. the best. Part. The no homework briefcase. That's great. So, is, exactly. there, is there more than one episode of that one right now? There's more. There's not more that are out right now, but there are more in that I have sketched outlines for. The trick for you know, I was just reading to my son Conan, um, the original Howard uh, uh, Robert Howard, 
And um, in the is your son named Conan? Is that correct? <laughs> His actually, my son's name's Colum, C O L M. Okay, because um, you said my son Conan. <laughs> <laughs> and I was reading the intro, and um, I, I was struck by the fact that Robert E. Howard said that he he made a lot of uh, heroes basically big, strong, tough men that were dumb because if they were smart, everybody would th- want them to think their way out of stuff. And I'm thinking, <laughs> that's the problem with Phil Morris, is that you have to have some clever ways of him to outthink himself in the celestial courts. So there's a lot of that kind of, well, what am I going to do here to try to continue that? Right. Courtroom dramas are always about sort of the twist, too. Yes, yep, yep. Yes. The surprise witness. Hmm. Yeah. You know, another favorite of mine that a lot of people haven't really said a lot of, and I don't know if it's just because I acted in it and I'm not that good an actor, but uh, the Muse of Madness episode, um, that's, a, that's a single show I did for Halloween. And that's kind of my, my ode to H.P. Lovecraft. I love that story. and I had what, 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 uh, what uh, season would that be in? Um, that could have been two uh, Halloweens ago. Okay. And uh, I started putting some of these shows up on uh, Electrify Kuna website, which, you know, is still always being worked on. But um, so that's evikuna.com. And if you go to uh, sort of the downloads, I think Muse of Madness is up there as well. And um, it's, you know, it's all I said it at the same time of uh, sort of golden age of radio. And it's about a guy who's a, a custodian at basically the same, you know, the radio station uh, with uh, Orson Welles, and he wants to sell, he wants to write scripts, and he's terrible at it, but he, he ends up getting possessed by this ancient evil that forces him to write this script. <laughs> and when he writes the script, uh, it, if it's performed, what it does is it actually, it's so compelling that it causes, everybody who listens to it believes it could possibly happen and then therefore brings back the evil. The idea being that, of course, gods exist because you believe in them, right? Mm. So, right, right. So uh, it's, I love the idea. I don't know what I did that, you know, either it didn't work in one way or another or something, but I just think it was a cool sort of idea to go with. I like the art with it. It uh, looks really good, but it's not available for download yet, so you better put that up. I will. I will go back and find that and, and put that up. The deadline is up there, which uh, yes. I've heard se- several of. Um, and there's and more. There's, that's there's... sort of your uh, take on The Twilight Zone? No, my take on The Twilight Zone is another series called Darker Musings. It started off as The Shadowlands, but it's kind of it's weird. I had a whole bunch of anthologies styles. I would say the deadline is more like Alfred Hitchcock presents. Okay, yeah. So it's more um, not so much fantasy. The darker muser one, musing ones are more fantasy, and then I have a sci-fi ones called uh, Wavefront. Right. And so I, it's fun doing anthologies because I'm such a Rod Serling freak. That I that my brain always thinks in those kind of Rod Serling esque kind of storylines, mm-hmm. and it's easier getting actors for one shots than it is for series too. So that's true. And so you do all almost everything. I, I don't think you've done anything for your own productions that are uh, the standard, basically for audio drama groups out there. Like Broken Sea does everything. Uh, remotely, everybody records their own stuff remotely, and then they send it in to the director, 
or editor who edits it all together. You do yours uh, more like um, a decoder ring does, right? You do it as a group together in a recording studio? Yeah, um, and, and I, there are times that I'll have somebody uh, guest sort of guest star then come in. I've had some uh, remote people send stuff in, and there's a couple reasons why I've said before. One, the one of them is I, I just love being able to interact with people directly and, and do better direction that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people get better energy based, you know, it, going off of each other that way by by being able to respond more effectively. But also, it's it's. <laughs> It's not as um, I'm more lazy <laughs> because I I feel for people doing all the because every time I listen to people doing these satellite radio stuff or uh, satellite recordings, and that's what I call them, mm-hmm. and uh, everybody has a different microphone and everybody records in a different environment, so you end up getting these really bizarre sort of sounds of hiss from everybody who speaks and unless you spend a lot of time sort of sifting it out that's nasty yeah and it is distracting too it really is and at least where I'm doing it's all in my apartment so the the hiss is the same you know it may be bad at times (laughs) but it's all the same if it's it's the same all the way through then yeah it's not as distracting right 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 for certain that's cool so So, yeah um, so uh, I'm in the community theater here in uh, where I live. I'm, I'm in southeastern Idaho, so I kind of yeah. know you know why I do that. It's just for the pure enjoyment of it. You know, certainly not for the money, which doesn't exist. We're always <laughs> we're always begging for money, more or less. But uh, is it the same for you in audio drama? I mean, audio drama is not a commercial venture for you, right? Not at this point. You know now. We're, we're hoping that Sonic Gold will eventually uh, do very well for everybody involved, but that's, you know, into the future. Yeah, please explain uh, what Sonic Gold is for everybody. Oh, okay. Um, so- Sonic Society has been going really well, and its main purpose for Sonic Society was to uh, produce, to bring to everybody what's out there for modern audio drama. And we try to sort of, you know, beat the streets and find who's making radio drama and radio plays and put a show out there so that people can listen to it. But we made it very clear from the very beginning, we cannot pay anybody for their audio drama. We can't because then we'd have to pay everybody kind of thing. And we, we, we just can't afford all of that. And it's free. And that way we can get it uh, we can get it out to radio stations across Canada and anyone else who wants to put it on radio for free as well. But... There's been a there's been a request from people always obviously for sort of professional audio drama and and how can we get a hold of that in the same kind of way so we thought why not showcase professional audio drama with the idea that I approach sort of professional audio drama groups and say could we uh, for a subscription fee use some of your shows. Uh, have everybody who signs up for twenty five dollars for twenty five shows. And then you get a percentage of all of the subscribers. Mm-hmm. So instead of you know one or two people buying that who would have listened to that buying their this show here, they get it on a subscribe podcast for twenty five dollars, and uh, it may end up that you know everybody gets a show that's ninety nine cents or a dollar, which would have cost them three ninety nine if they went to find it themselves. And how how many subscribers, if you don't mind me asking, did uh, Sonic Gold get for its first season? 
his first season we got, I think it was 90 subscribers, which isn't That's bad. Not too for, bad. Yeah. For our very first try, I didn't have any, I, you know, I, it's hard because I'm a full-time teacher and a father and a, a number of, and Sonic Society and all my own projects. I didn't take the time that I wa- wanted to, to put out commercials and, and, and tell people about it everywhere. So it really kind of came from people who heard about it through the Sonic Society podcast. But it was, it was I, think, I think it was a decent beginning. I was really expecting about 50. So, you know, I got almost twice as much as what I expected. I'm kind of hoping that next season, if we do have a second season, that we can, you know, at least double it and mm-hmm. keep doing that so that by the time we get up to five, we're into the thousands. That would be lovely. Yeah. And it's not like you're running out of material to, to put in the feed, right? Well, no, it's, it, it, the, the, it's not so much that there's a material. The, the trick is trying to convince people who sell their product that this is a value. And being able to say, look, I'm not, I'm not giving this to people for free. They are purchasing it. And, of course, their concern is, well, then, you know, what's the pro- why won't they just copy it and give it to other people? And you just you have to kind of give them the idea that, you know, this is almost a sample of their works and people will go back and buy other things, which has happened. I know um, Colonial Radio Theater gave us a lot of great stuff. They were the ones that actually pressed this because I threw this out there for a while and then I was stuck in this sort of catch-22 moment where I was like, well, okay, I've got people who want to sign up if they know what they're buying. And I've got people who, but I don't have anybody to, to, to buy anything from because I don't have any money because people haven't signed up. Right. Right. So then, um, Mark Vandenberg, uh, who's, uh, partnered with Jerry Robbins, the colonial radio said, Jack, what the hell are you waiting for? Look, we'll give you all of these things for free for the first year. If you just get Sonic gold off the ground. Hmm. And he, it was it was completely thanks to him that uh, got me off my duff, and then I went searching for a radio uh, repertory uh, company of America, which gave us some great stuff, uh, and um, Jim French Productions, uh, great, gave us some awesome stuff, and then Scott Hickey from uh, AMFM Theater gave us some awesome stuff. So we you know we had four companies. And then every once in a while, I tried to format it so it would be something I could utilize um, in, in, in a radio station if I wanted to or if I had the opportunity to be able to sort of put the Sonic Gold in a radio station too. Um, every once in a while, we would throw in one of our own shows and say, well, do you think this show is good enough or do you think this show is, is valuable enough that maybe if we did a series that you'd be interested in paying for it too? So it was a, it was a jumping off point for my stuff to say – you know, would you buy a electric Vicuna production if you only got it through, you know, a purchased agent as well? Not that I'll ever give up Sonic Society, not that I'll ever give up not giving people stuff for free, but it's nice to have the two options too. Yeah. So if I have, for example, you know, I've been, I've been threatening for the longest time to do a, a Western fantasy. And it's a fantasy because there's all sorts of fantastic mythological creatures and, and stuff that will show up. I don't want to say any more because it will blow the whole story. But <laughs> um, it, and, and, it's, and I've been working on it and working on it because I'm also a stickler when it comes to making sure I'm as close to as what it, you know, it, it, it feels. I don't like stuff that's really incongruous in stories. So it takes me a long time to do that. But I would love to be able to sell it so that I can be able to uh, pay my actors. 
So even if I have actors and they come in and they do stuff for free all the time, and then I say, well, you know what? Maybe once a year we can do a 15-week thing that we sell and I can pay you for it. It gives them more value to, to what we're doing as well. That's cool. Um, have, I don't know. This is sort of off topic, but uh, it reminded me when you were saying, um, talking about the shows. Uh, uh, I was in the bookstore the other day, and I, I found uh, my hands holding a copy of Powder River. That's was that in the Sonic Gold uh, for this season? No, we didn't have Powder River this season um, for Sonic Gold. I, I'm, I'm not sure why, but we we had a ton of other things, and I think if we ran Powder River. As it was, we ran some pretty amazing sort of adventure series, mm-hmm. and that was one of the complaints from people. You know, it was funny. Some people said, "I want more series," and some people said, "Less series and more standalone shows for Sonic Gold." And we ran almost consistently like one Colonial Radio series, which was uh, Captain Blood, and that was like seventeen episodes long. <laughs> and then we ran. Um, there's King Solomon's Mines, which was another 10 episodes long. So we, we, we ran a series on a regular basis. So if we did Powder River as well, unless we did one of their specials, um, it would have been sort of like, you know, you, we'd have two series. <laughs> right. One episode of this and one episode of that. So we were trying to sort of keep it so that it was the same sort of format like we try to do with Sonic Society. It doesn't always work, but have one main feature and one either short or a, or a series of some sort. Uh, I, I wanted to point out also that, yeah, Captain Blood and... What was the other one you read? Uh, it was Colonial Radio... Uh, sorry, it was Colonial Radio Theater's um, uh, King Solomon's Mind. Right, King Solomon's Mind. Those are both um, based on public domain novels. And this is something I've been thinking more and more lately that audio drama people should be doing is is not just writing their own stuff but adapting more public domain material there's so much out there that's available I, I totally agree except for the fact that you know as people as as hollywood runs out of ideas they're snatching up um classic stuff and uh and and uh, we, we get into the whole cpi situation with broken sea and, and you know how we both feel about that you know, I, I often wonder, you know, how much would it really cost to obtain rights to a novel that's not in the public domain and then uh, make a nice audio drama out of that? I mean, it just doesn't seem it's done very often. Yeah. You know, because would, it, would it be of worse to people? Because um, there's a BBC production that comes to mind of uh, Voyage by Stephen Baxter. It was mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, and it's commercially available. But that's BBC pocket money, right? Yeah, but but how much would it really cost? Because nobody's doing it, I wonder if you could find uh, people who would do it for well, you know a there percentage. There are people doing. Colonial Radio Theater is doing it right now. In fact, they're moving away from public domain stuff and going to licensing things. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example. They license Zorro. Oh. They've uh, they've done two books of Zorro, like the, the original books. And now what their big thing is and that they're finding really popular is they're doing um, all the uh, Stanley Earl Gardner um, uh, novels of um, – oh, geez, what's his name? I just lost it. Raymond Burr's uh, lawyer character. Right. Is it Nero Wolf? No, 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 no. no, no. That's Rex Stout. No. I no, know Stan- who you mean. can't believe I forgot uh, anyway, it's, it's, he's on the tip of my tongue. He's doing a great. They're doing a lot of a, a lot of those, and people are loving. Harry them. Mason. 
Perry, Perry Mason. Mason right. And we ran, we ran two Perry Mason shows on Sonic Gold. And uh, they offered them to us, which was great. And, and they're, they're great. Part of the other problem for us is, is, is this, is that Sonic Gold I've been trying to run as an hour-long show. And when you're doing um, any kind of adaptation, really, to do it justice, uh, you need at least two hours for, for many books to do, you know, to get through all that stuff, if not, you know, four hours. Uh, a continuing series. So doing adaptations of a book in an hour is 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 cutting things down to the bone. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, when I think audio drama, you know, you've got an unlimited special effects budget, so it's perfect for science fiction. You know. Um, so you know, do something. You know, it would be cool if someone did something like Ringworld. You know, that would be kind of a neat audio drama. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Wouldn't it? I think it'd be awesome. You know, it's it's interesting when I'm looking back, and I'm a huge old pulp fan. Mm-hmm. I I love old pulp stuff, and I know you know it's crap, but it's just fun. And there's a ton of things I've often thought about. You know, what if you could go back to a lot of those Street and Smith books, or yeah. are they Smith and Street? I never get them right. And 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 go through just grabbing short stories and novels and stuff like that, and being able to uh, you know have an audio drama release of those. Well, all, I, you know, I would, think would there... that a lot of the, that is absolutely available because uh, LibriVox is doing that. They're going through and recording everything that's in the public domain that that is of interest, and there is a ton that is in the public domain uh, if it's. Prior to 1963, it's a very good chance that it's public domain. And it's a very good chance that somebody out there has already proved that it's public domain. Okay, but there's the question, the question of can we do it is, is, is answered. The question is, will it be popular? Because my, my question is, you, you guys are very well versed, obviously, in the history of science fiction and fantasy. As you know, I, I'd like to say I've done a lot of reading throughout the years, and there are there are many people like us. But are we enough for buying power or even listening power that it would be of value? Well, I don't know. I don't know if you could do it commercially completely. Um, that's not my area of expertise. But what I do know is that people do like a lot of the, you know, the name people. You know, we're we're going to be doing a show on Robert Shackley's novel um, that I've got somewhere around here. Next week, The uh, Status Civilization. Right, The Status Civilization. And that is um, uh, available as a commercial audiobook and also now available just yesterday as a public domain audiobook. And I'm positive that's going to get a huge hit just because Robert Shackley's a very well-known science fiction author. Yeah, I, it's just uh, the reason I'm asking this is that you know, ha, is the time traveler still around? Because mm-hmm. I he's, haven't heard he's, the show in a while. Well, he's the guy who's doing uh, did the commercial version. He he's mm-hmm. basically put all his efforts into the commercial end, and wow. um, the time traveler show was his way of promoting Wonder Audio. Right, uh, and he he hasn't produced much audio lately, right? No, he yeah. hasn't. He hasn't done it. Uh, but he's also you also have to remember that he took on a new job as. Um, the head of uh, the president of the Science Fiction Oral History Association, right? Which is, which is basically involved in going to conventions or getting recordings done at conventions long ago, and trying to make sure that the rights are available to 
air them as podcasts. So I hope to be hearing some of those soon. Mm-hmm. Me too. I, I miss the guy, and I haven't heard from him in a while. So I was wondering, because that was one of the things that I loved in early podcasting days was this. To me, he he represented one of the cool things of this that, that LibriVox is doing, and that's kind of like archiving. And, 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 and sort of putting a flag in the in the ground and saying, you know what, this stuff is pub- public domain. Try and take it away. I like that. I like that a lot. And I, I miss things like um, even even in audio drama wise, um, Spaceship Radio was one of the early sort of shows that did that brought back sort of old, um, you know, uh, Dimension X and X minus one episodes and, and, and gave a little bit of a spiel beforehand and introduced them to an entirely new audience. Mm-hmm. And as much as I love creating new audio drama, I really dug the, you know getting people to listen to old stuff again, too. Yeah. Well, there's still the OTR swag cast. <laughs> yes, there is. Yep. And there's a ton of stuff on Radio Memories Network, which we're you know, affiliated with, with Sonic Society. I, I listen to – they have um, uh, Sci-Fi Fridays podcast – and a couple of other cool Western Wednesdays and Boxcar Seven Eleven. There's some a lot of, a lot of stuff, but oftentimes those are sort of like a, a very short. This is what happened. Whereas um, Spaceship Radio would actually spend some time really talking about the value of the ideas that were mm-hmm. brought. You know, like oh, you know what? This show kind of reminds me of The Matrix because it's still talking about this aspect of science fiction forty-five years later. You know, how do computers affect our lives? Stuff like that. There's not as much analysis to connect it to new listeners the same way. Yeah, it's true. Yep. So there's a market out there, or something like a market. (laughs) Absolutely. Right. Right. You know, we we better find something. We guys gotta stop. Be agreeing with because right now <laughs> I totally we disagree with fight. that. We totally fight about stuff. What's going on here? I, you know, it's funny. I, I did that whole uh, interview with Wanda Radio, and I just got a message on Facebook from J.C. Hutchins saying, "I just listened to your Wanda Radio thing with you, you know, telling people what you know what you thought of my leaving podcasting," and I. <laughs> And I was ready to, you know, I was bracing for a punch in the jaw or something. But he said it was very interesting. And I went, well, what does that mean? Yeah. Interesting's <laughs> a very uh, ambiguous word there. <laughs> Did you like it? Did you not like it? Like, I, I'm a big enough person to to hear people's opinions about stuff and big enough to be able to say, well, you know, maybe I'm wrong about certain things, but this is how stuff strikes me at the time. So I think I think having, you know, differences of opinion, but also just great discussions about this stuff makes a big, a big difference itself. Like we talked before about your, you know, blog post way back about the, um, what's wrong with audio drama, the infamous what's wrong with audio drama. And I thought it was great because it, it, it brought people to, to stand up and start talking about what works and what doesn't work. But a lot of people got angry about it. Well, that was partially my intention, is to generate some interest, because uh, it, it, I, I, everything in it was true. Everything in it was true. It, it's all, There's a lot of problems that were, you know, cropping up over and over again. And uh, if you want some criticism, Jack, I'll give you my number one complaint. There's no art. There's no art in the Sonic Society podcast. So every episode comes with a big blank, you know, 
icon of the podcasting symbol. So you know, I'm looking I, at my, my, my iPhone. I look down. What am I listening to? Oh, you know, nothing. You know what that is? That's Shannon Hilchey. And I <laughs> she puts the show together. I'm not. Uh, I, well, I, you uh, can pass along my complaint. I, I will. And I've, I've, I've told her, I said, because if you notice the times that I've edited, go back and listen to the times that I've edited, I've always put the icon in. And she says, well, nobody, nobody looks at it anyway. That was her response. Uh, so every time Scott forgets to do it, I'm I'm I'll get yeah. out the whip. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will proceed to get out the whip for Shannon. Too. There you go. <laughs> you just gotta whip whip your podcasting partner more. Work but that's for- what I mean. it's like you know if I don't if I don't hear stuff like that, then how am I ever going to get any better? Hearing hearing what's is as important, if not more so, than hearing what's right. I agree. And uh, speaking of which, another uh, similar problem, the naming conventions for uh, the episodes are not consistent. This is something, something, when I I was thinking how we're going to do our podcast, um, I I thought, whatever it is, however it is, it has to be consistent from week to week. So that when you're looking at that feed, it's nice and neat, it's easily organized, you can see, you know, what's going to be in there, nice and neat. Um, A neat or, you know, like as in, you know where, what part is the title and what part is the, the number. Um, it's not as consistent in uh, Sonic Society. And, I, I mean, you have been around for five years, which is a long time. But uh, you could start a new convention. No, and the, the thing is, and again, this is <laughs> me discussing with Shannon. And it, it's funny because, and I, and, I, and I take this down to differences in generational differences because I, I i noticed that there are generational differences because shannon was born in a certain year phrase that throws her into gen y and i'm a gen x person which makes me, me a little closer to sort of baby boomers and i panic i literally panic when i don't when i don't have something done right it drives me crazy I and get depressed. And Shannon's response is very, ah, they don't care. And and I'm like, no, no. That you know, and I and for example, when you come to naming conventions, I'm the same way. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to diss Shannon, obviously. I adore her, but it's it's interesting because it is sort of a generational thing that I find a lot of generation Y people Certain things will really affect them, but little things, the things that are, are to me important because, you know, just because they're little doesn't mean they're not important to them. They don't, they don't sweat the small stuff. And, and in some ways that works really well. In some ways it's, it's very difficult, but I always laugh because I would sit there and I'd say, you know, what, what is this naming convention? You just put the show up on. And she would just shrug her shoulders and go, I don't know. So it took me a long time. Now the naming convention is pretty solid because I bu- bugged her and bugged her and bugged her about it. And it's it's always S Society and then the name of the of the number of the episode. It changes to a summer. Uh, cha- the summer convention is different. Um, and we change that when we do the summer season. But the Sonic Society, it should have the same episode number for the regular season all the way through. I'm looking through uh, my feed here. I have uh, starts with back in 2009, uh, 03, 2009, and then goes up to 
1108-2009, and then there's the first number, number 163. Sonic Society dash episode number 163, Wave Shadows. So <laughs> you better check that she is actually doing it because it looks like there are three numbers, numbered episodes um, in, in the last 60. Really? Yep. And, and I'm including the number 200, which is a slightly different naming convention, but it, it, it at least has the number 200 in there. Okay, now you've got me, now you've got me all panicky again. Good. Thanks. <laughs> RSS Sonic Society feed. Is that what you're looking at? I'm looking at uh, whichever one I subscribed to years ago, so it's probably the same one. It, well, okay, well, yeah, it, we have moved once. Um, but I'm, uh, and now see, because of this, this lovely sage thing you've given me, mm-hmm. it, it all, it all call, says calls them enclosure now. But if I use sage and I, and I bring up Sonic Society feed, it says S Society 200.mp3. Okay. The next so, one is S Society 199.mp3. Okay. The next you, you're not using S-S- iTunes. What, 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 what's your podcatcher rather than our catcher? See, yeah, I'm using the RSS feed, and what Shannon, because this goes back to the same thing with the picture, right? Yeah. She's not encoding them with ID3 tags, and so that's why it's coming up with something different. Okay. Well, so, stop to work on that. Complaint, different thing. <laughs> uh, you t- you mentioned the the summer show. I'm wondering, uh, can you tell us what's going to be in the summer show? Do you know what, like? Uh, what what fan based audio dramas are going to be in there? The ones that you can't play on the radio. <laughs> well, um, we haven't done fan based audio dramas since the first season of summer season. Really? So, yeah, it hasn't. We haven't done that. One season we did Gate. Remember? Yeah. Which I'm re which I'm updating. It's an original audio drama series. And uh, last season, I don't think we did fan stuff either. So. Um, so uh, you, it's yeah. This season, though, I'm very excited, and I guess this is like the first time I'm going to announce it. So if people are listening to this podcast, they will get a thing. Well, what what I wanted to do for the last couple of years in the summertime, and I'm finally doing now, is I've approached a whole bunch of audio drama companies, uh, friends of mine, Broken Sea and Gypsy Audio, and and uh, Kung Fu Action Theater, and that. And I said, how would you guys like to redo an old time radio drama? Uh, with and, and just modernize it with the with the new group. So you know, uh, do a re-release of an old-time radio drama, and do it. I'm going to call it Sonic um, Sonic Summerstock Theater, and uh, we'll set it up kind of like the old. I don't know if you ever heard the show First Nighter, where the idea was you know you're you're wandering into the or you're walking into an old uh, an actual theater, and and the stage is up there, and the applause comes up, and they kind of whisper what's what are we seeing tonight kind of thing. And then the next thing you know, there's the show. So I wanted to have a different show every single week for the summer from a different company. So but based uh, on I the think, classic stri- script? Is that? Yeah, on the classic scripts. On the yeah, classic scripts. So I'll give you, I, I can tell you one of them is going to be the old-fashioned, um, a, a redo of the uh, Time Machine. Oh. And and that's done by Broken Sea. And Bill Hallward's Great. got he just uh, told me this week that it's completely edited together. Wow. So we'll have so, – uh, yeah, it'll be very fun. And I am doing with Shannon and the Electric Vicuna people, I'm doing my favorite comedy. See, it's, it's going to be you – know, not all sci-fi. There will be old-time 
I want them to be sort of classic stage kind of things that you'd see on a stage in one way or another generally or a classic uh, story. Um, I'm doing Bringing Up Baby, the Howard Hawks uh, comedy with Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant. And a monkey or something? Great. Uh, and a, a monkey? Che- it's a cheetah. Cheetah, right. Uh. That's right. I love that play, and it, I it, it, I didn't think it had ever been done by Old Time Radio, and uh, I asked everybody around. Nobody had a script of it, so I've been going through and transcribing it and editing it and changing it and getting it ready for audio drama myself. It's a long process. I've never done that with a movie before, so but it's fun. Um, changing the topic slightly, very exciting, but uh, it just came to mind when um, you, were, you were talking about know the old time i remember reading an article on um the new blog you pointed out to me audio drama review oh right um he was uh i think it's a he who does that uh his name is james snow apparently right yeah james snow there he is um he was saying uh about how there's different different audio drama groups there's um the classic style i guess more like a actually i was talking with jerry stearns last night um about uh, the classic style of audio drama as well, um, you know, more Jerry like decoder ring, yeah. Northern Audio, yeah, uh, sound effects. The uh, right, okay. KF, KFAI, I think, is his web uh, right website. Um, yeah, but he's going to be doing a read along with us on uh, the Robert Checkley book, by the way. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, so he he was saying, uh, you know, they do it this way, and this guy, these guys do it this way. Um, what's your? How would you say? You know, the electric vicuna style is. It's it's certainly not old timey uh, style. More along the lines of decoder ring. Generally, I don't think. Right, yours is dialogue driven, but not. You, you know, you don't shy away from sound effects. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I I kind of run the middle ground. There's um, there was a conversation on audio drama talk about you know. It was, and I think Alexa Chipman had her had a banner up saying "Blade of Grass" because I made a comment about how, you know, there there are people who use next to no sound effects, and and Greg Taylor is very good at being very conservative about sound effects in the old time yeah. radio style. He only uses what he desperately needs to use. Yeah. And then there's people who like you hear every single blade of grass. That's what I said. And, and so she she set up a banner saying, you know, Blade of Grass, because she loves loves the idea of having every single sound. I'm kind of in the middle. I'm like the Buddhist of audio drama. No, I, I'm in the middle of all these things, I think. I honestly do believe that, you know, I don't mind. I like playing. I like both. But I don't want to I don't want to have to feel like I have to have everything as completely rich and textured as uh, sometimes, you know, like like Bill Hallway, God love the man. He he produces like nobody else. He and Stevie Farnby, they spent a lot of time just like throwing in tracks upon tracks upon tracks and really getting the sound. And my question, like I love it, but I'm wondering beyond themselves and the hardcore people like us, how many people are going to really catch every thing that goes on there? Well, uh, the main thing that I I dislike is when it's it's taking it too far, and the, I I think um, Jerry Stearns pointed out um, one 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 producer believes that uh, every audio drama world should be carpeted just so that you don't hear the footsteps clanking, you know, <laughs> somebody clanking down a metal starship hallway, um, 
it, you know, that's showing that the room is, you know, transitioning from room to room. Um, that that's always jarring to me is to you know to hear footsteps. I don't yeah. want to hear footsteps. Um, you rarely hear footsteps in movies, um, and when you do, it's not the focus, right? It's not the focus. Whereas in audio drama, it is the focus because that's all there is. There's just sound, um, right? And I, it, I find it extremely uh, distracting. It feels like poor writing. Just like you didn't know how to transition from over on the couch to the doorway. It was it was interesting because I, I think it was um it was Jerry Robbins that was talking to me about it and I think I read it in James Snow as well at one point because he said there's a famous line from uh, Har- um, uh, Groucho Marx who said why is it that everybody in audio drama are wearing wooden shoes? <laughs> because you know they they there's there's heavy handedness in 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 much of this and to me again it needs to support the show. I, I want to, if it throws you out of the show, it's a bad thing. Yeah. If you notice it, it's a bad thing. If it, if it adds to the show in such a way that it draws you into the entire thing, then that's, that's a great thing. If it, if it informs the story. To me, I'm all about the story. I, one other thing that Jerry said to me that really caught me, and he said, look, I call it audio theater for a reason. He goes, I, you know, I get, I have, uh, I could mic it in a completely silent place, and he goes, but I don't, because I, I, I want people to recognize that there, it is a matter of theater that's going on. So the fact that, you know, the voices don't sound like, you know, they may sound like they're in a room, well, that's part of it, right? That's part of the experience as far as he's concerned. Mm-hmm. So I can appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. What's your thought on that, Scott? Well, you're talking about audio theater. Well, I, I don't disagree with it. <laughs> um, I don't like the footsteps either, you know, um, but the the idea of the audio drama being theater is very appealing. Um, you know, I, I like it. I, I like not to have um, narrators. Um you know, those are the best type, in my opinion, that um, can get around in the script without um, doing a whole lot of things that bring to mind that you are doing an audio drama. You know, like Dirk Maggs is probably my favorite uh, person at that. You know, the, the transitions that he can make without um, them being jarring is really kind of fascinating to me sometimes i you know back that up and listen again and you know superman uh what, what was that one that he did um i can't remember the title but he did a superman um that i thought was just amazing you know going from an airplane to the ground you know and out in the air and everything all within you know just a few minutes of audio I love Dirk Max. I, I I think the man is is top of the game when it comes to um, audio drama in modern day times. And and he he actually said I, I contacted him and he said he would do an interview with me, which was awesome. Oh, I can't wait. Great. Yeah. So I don't I, think I've I ever ha- heard an interview of him. Well, I'm looking forward to. It. I'm doing it at Sonic Society, and I haven't made arrangements yet. And it's been my fault that I haven't made arrangements because I've been too busy. But I, we're going to sit down and talk over the radio. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, but. That being said, there was a heck of a lot of narration in Batman. Uh-huh. That he, there was a lot of Batman self-narration, right? Uh, Batman's, and, Batman's, I think, 
always been that way, though. If you read the comics, he's always narrating. Well, that's comics are always self-narrating. I think the only yeah. comic, the first comic that I recognized that wasn't self-narrating, I think came from. Um, Jeez, uh, uh, we they made a movie. I made a television show of the Hunter, and uh, I think it was the Hunter, and uh, it was Mike. Oh goodness, what's his name? Uh, I, I I always blank out when we do these kind of things, but I'll I'll come back to it and think of it. But and, and it was it was very interesting because there was no captions. All the action was happening, and you had no idea what was going on in his head. The main character. And um, it, it was um, it was a very different style that we aren't used to, and I, there, that's another big discussion that we had in audio drama talk because um, Rob Patterson sort of brought it up. He says, "Do you know? Do you like narration or not?" And Rob Patterson uses a lot of narration in kung fu action theater, and I argue that you know, in some genres, it's almost a necessity. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell a good fantasy story. Um, without having some kind of keys uh, through narration. Yeah. And I guess it, it's ha- got to be, you know, a decision for you all the time where, you know, if, you, if you're going to walk into an airport or something, can you have an ambient noise that sounds enough like an airport for them to know, you know, can you rely on the audience to know, you know, hey, I'm in an airport right now? Yeah. You know. Yeah, and I I ma- making that happen with ambient noise is always extremely impressive to me, you know, and I think Dirk Maggs does that all the time. You know. Yeah. Just with whatever and, and, wherever he's at, he's just like, "Bam, you're there and I don't even have to tell you that, so we're just going to go on with this scene and 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 that's what And it's always true. a struggle. Like I I prefer personally and you know, my preferences are no narration as well because as soon as you narrate, you're telling people it's a story. And, and you're placing the story in a time and place. It was kind of almost the problem with Star Trek, too, with the captain's logs. Because if they're, if they're recording the captain's logs, then obviously they got through it, right? Yeah, yeah. So that yeah. was always a problem. That's an that. interesting example because uh, the audiobooks that uh, Star Trek put out, you know, I enjoyed them. Uh, um, probably not so much today. I think they're kind of dated. I watched a Star Trek the other day and uh, was like, wow, this isn't holding up very well. This was a next generation, but that I digress. Anyway, <laughs> but the Star Trek audiobooks—they relied on the audience. Um, they were heavily abridged these audios, um, so they were right. they were kind of a hybrid between audio drama because they used sound effects, but there was always just a single narrator. But right. they didn't do any description of things like the bridge because all they did is they put those beeps in there that you're used to hearing, and they assumed that the audience would know. Okay, I'm on the bridge. So now they could skip all that descriptive whatever that said that they were on the bridge, and and um, you know that's kind of how they abridged them. So, um, but it's interesting you brought that. Same with the Star Wars audiobooks. Not anymore because now they're unabridged. Um, but right. before they used to, uh, you know, you want to know you're on the Millennium Falcon, you just play a track of them zipping by, and it's such a familiar sound to a fan that okay, I know where I'm at. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny when you, when you say that those things are dated. I don't want to go back, but I've been showing Star Trek to my eldest son, who's about to turn fourteen, mm-hmm. and I, I decided to do it chronologically. Uh-huh. So he's watched all of Enterprise, really loved it. Uh, watched the original series, really loved it. Mm-hmm. Watched Next Generation, and he's like, "This is really cheesy, guy." Yeah, I, I was <laughs> kind of surprised by it too. I, I actually, I think. 
back then, I liked the next generation um, probably better because I was enjoying it at the time better than the original series. But the original series, I I loved my whole life, and right. I still have those, and th- those hold up I think better than the next generation. And they then um, I, I started to watch uh, uh, a Deep Space Nine episode the other day, and Deep Space Nine I think is a different kind of series. But it is. I think that it held up a little better than the next generation. I don't know. I, I have a theory as to why Deep Space Nine held up, is holding up better. I, I think it's because of Babylon 5. Uh-huh. I think Babylon 5 kicked uh, the Star Trek franchise in the rear yeah. and said, you, you know, you guys, you can't do this anymore. Because, because before, before Babylon 5, they didn't even have sort of continuing episodes. Right there was there was two parters, but that was it. And Babylon Five sort of introduced the whole idea of hey, you can have continuity, you know, and and start and that's one of the things that drove me crazy about Next Generation. I've said this before, but you know, one of the biggest episodes that turned me off was the great episode where Jordy gets um, tortured and and mind screwed around with uh, brainwashed by the Romulans. Next episode, not a mention of it. Not a mention of it. Yeah. You know, yeah, that is something. That was kind of in that transition period where they started to realize that, hey, series could really have an overall arc to it. But, exactly. Uh, in, in the next generation, when Picard got taken by the Borg, um, they they I remember for an episode or two after that, he was a little messed up, but then uh, but then he was okay, and then and then they just kind of um, yeah, there was the episode where he went back to the Earth and met his family because he wasn't. He wasn't uh, able to get straight in the head or whatever. I think that's the last episode, though, Scott. It, no, it wasn't. It was it called. Wasn't. Oh, okay. It was called Family, actually. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was, and that was, and it then, was the one after the, uh, Best of Both Worlds was the two-parter, right. and then they came up with Family, which was, as far as I'm concerned, one of the best episodes of the Next Generation. Yeah. Okay. Because they did that. Right, um, right. But remember, in Babylon Five, the Doctor had this long arc of getting through addiction for like a year and a half. Yeah, they introduced it and they slowly brought it in, and then it was never this sort of quick fix. Like, oh yeah, well you're fixed now, and it's yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. Babylon, but, Babylon Five. Thanks to Jesse, I watched that, and uh, yeah, I, I watched that on DVD, and it was pretty much as fast as I could get through it. It's pretty great. It's an amazing series. Although I have to say, I still think you know Babylon Five, the best of the series, is season two, three, and four. You're right about that too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. There's a really good, some really good episodes in both one and five, um, but two, three, and four was just it kept you going constantly. Indeed. Anyway, we're getting right off topic. So I guess I guess <laughs> the so, so story the point bringing Star Trek up in the first place was that they were able to use audio to put you right in a setting, and uh, to me that's now, that's an that's an art. I that mean, reminded me of another thing I was telling talking to Jerry Stearns about. Um, I was mentioning. Uh, how whenever I listen to a full cast uh, audio audiobook, you know, mm-hmm. full cast audio is an audiobook company that takes a whole group of actors and performs the novel as written, uh, removing only the attributions. So there's no he says or she says when it's not a one thousand percent clear, and um, they don't do any sound effects at all. No sound. Effects. They have a little bit of music uh, at the beginning of a chapter and maybe the end of a chapter but that's it um and i was telling him when i listen to that i forget that it's not an audio drama there are no sound effects placed in the novel right right but 
the writer who wrote the book gave us lots of sound effects. The narrator right. tells us about them. And right. those explosions or those uh, creaking sounds, whatever sounds are in the novel, show up in my head just as well as uh, ones placed in by an audio dramatist. In fact, they probably show up better because I don't notice them at all. I can't notice them. Right. Have you heard I'm anything from the graphic audio, Jack? Graphic audio. Graphic give me, audio. give me some. Well, give me they, some they've done they've done a, a whole bunch of the, their audio drama audiobook hybrids. Um, so you, okay. you'd have you would have they would take a novel like Elantris by Brandon Sanderson, and they would right. produce eight hours, or I don't even know if it's longer than that. It may be, but it, it's practically. I would say practically unabridged, but it's not really unabridged. But it's also a um, an audio drama because it's fully uh, lots of sound effects and things. Um, anyway, yeah, if you haven't heard those, it's uh, you know I urge you to get. I'd love to. I'd love to hear one of those uh, on Sonic Society if you if you can get yeah, one. I mean, why I think not? a lot of people would, they would would be surprised by by it because it is a very different style in that okay. it is a long long form style audio drama it's you know eight hours for one episode well this is kind of this is a big this is a big question again like what what makes audio drama and what doesn't you know uh search her and stallion is probably one of the earliest sort of audio dramas that we have that are still going Mm -hmm. and they've been going since the 90s way back in the tape era on radio and it is more of a uh, a described uh audio book with sound effects and different characters because so much of it is is narrated, right? It, it's 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 so much of it is described that way, and so you know how much what becomes audio drama and what doesn't. And people have, I'll tell you the 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 thing that drives me crazy the most is hearing people do audiobooks and put sound effects in. Yeah, because it to me every you know the best stories are conservative stories. And if you're going to sit there and tell me in a, an audiobook and read to me in an audiobook what's happening, and then on top of it put sound effects to do that, that's overkill. Yeah. That's like sitting there saying he walked over to the to the next door, and then you hear clunk 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 clunk. And the only time I ever do hear those things in professional productions are in kids' audiobooks, because. It's almost like they need to give that extra bit for kids to imagine it. So when I hear when I hear like you know remasterings of of famous audio books and that with now with you know a whole bunch of new sound effects and all these different actors and that I really sort of cringe because I, there's nothing worse to me than trying to kill an audio book. Like I like them separate that way. Yeah, I agree too. And we we've said here before that. Um there's no need to say he said angrily and the guy says something angrily. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm so mad, he said angrily. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the, the Swiftians, right? Tom Swiftians? Yeah. Right. Do you remember those? Yeah, and, then, and those things those, you know, in audiobooks, I mean, they really jump out at you. And you're like, oh. Yeah, pass the pizza. Said, he said is still uh, uh, transparent. Yes. Yeah. Pass the pizza, he said crustily. <laughs> Don't drop the toothpaste, he said crestfallen. You know, stuff like that. Those are all Tom Swifty and stuff, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he said, she said, you know who's terrible for those? 
Rawlings. J.K. Rawlings, yeah. Go back and read her first book. You will find so many. Those are adverbs, right? Mm -hmm. And the only time adverbs, and I take this from the writing tools book, which I think every writer should go get. They should go get a copy of the writing tools, that and shrunk and white. And uh, one of the writing tools say the only time adverbs are really useful is if they change the meaning of the verb. So, for example, um, they gave a really good example. They said, killing me softly with his song. Using the, using the adverb softly changes the verb killing in such a way that it changes the meaning. But if the song was killing me harshly or, or fiercely, it wouldn't work, right? Right. So the best adverbs are the ones that change the meaning of the verb in such a way. Anything else is, again, redundant. Well, uh, if you if you go by Elmore Leonard's school of writing, um, oh, he's you should you should never ever use anything other than he said. So yeah. even if it's a question, what's wrong with you? He said. Right? Yeah. No asked. No asked. Just said. Yeah. John said, and you don't even need most of the attributions. You know, he said or she said. Uh, you don't need them because once the the rhythm's developed. You can tell who's talking by the personality. And, you know, those, those all go back. They go back further than, than those. Those go all the way. Um, um, you know, Fitz, F. Scott Fitzgerald and um, The Sun Also Rises and, and, and those sure. kinds of writers because they started off sort of with the, the reporter style of writing, keeping things away from being the purple prose and just saying this is what's happening kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, no, I agree completely. Those again, we're agreeing. This is not good. This is making really poor <laughs> too stuff. Much mm. Too much agreement. Too much agreement. <laughs> well, no, in some ways, it's very good. It's it's gratifying to hear that. You know, I'm not the only one. In some ways, it's funny. I I read. You go going back to the audio drama review. I read the James Snow stuff, mm-hmm. and and people get mad and they they send me messages. And they go, "Can you believe what he's saying about this?" And I kind of want to say, "Well, he's right." You know. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's harsh medicine, um, but sometimes he, what he's giving you is a perspective of a listener. I wanted to get him on the podcast. and um, Oh, really? That would be cool. I asked him, but he, he respectfully declined. And what? Yeah. And I thought, oh, damn, because I, I would like to hear exactly, you know, I think, I think it, he, he's feeling... Um, uh, I, I he's probably feeling you know like wow that would really bring the heat, bring the heat down because oh, really? I don't know I, I'm not sure exactly but he did respectfully decline so it's easier to hide behind the letter the the writing I suppose I, I think he's yeah he's just not he's afraid of public speaking or something okay but um I guess that's fair you know I I I, I would hate to see him go away because I think his his websites are quite valuable every time I see a new post there. I go over and I read it and I think, yep, here's, here's what I don't need to do now that he's, he's, he's slammed it hard. Uh, sounds terrible. I won't need to hear that one. And, uh, <laughs> oh, this one, I haven't heard of this one before. Okay, I better check that out. Well, that's cool. Yeah, well, that's, very useful. I've noticed that he's, he has grown in, in followers. I wouldn't know because I don't follow a lot of pod, uh, uh, blogs, so I wouldn't know how many followers is a good follower, but he's he's got about 13 followers, including me, and I and I try to read everything that I can uh, that that he comes out with. I, I especially like his stuff he does on you know 
the processes like writing and mm-hmm. production and stuff like that, that doesn't get as much uh, word from people. But I think it has a lot of value for people who are interested in, in producing that as well. All right, have you read his stuff, Scott? Um, no, I never have. Okay, um, but I just barely added it to my feed. <laughs> okay, well, that's good. Yeah. Be very interesting to see other people's opinions. Is there a lot of other people doing besides you guys? You guys do some reviews. You do a lot more audio book reviews than you do audio drama, and I think that's, that's just because there's more audio books out there. Yeah. Uh, well, and also part of the problem is um, I treat audio dramas as my reward, whereas Audiobooks are my my you know homework. <laughs> okay. <coughs> Excuse me. So are you like, saying like audio drama better? Uh, I I do like it better for for one main thing. I like audio drama when I'm about to go to sleep. So okay. what I do, I press play, and then two seconds later, I'm gone, and I'm in the middle of an audio drama. I'm enjoying it, and then I'm gone. No, some um, of my favorite things are audio dramas. Um, you know, when, when you get an audio book. You know, audiobooks to me are not usually things that I listen to over and over. But yeah. there is a, a fairly decent list of audio dramas that I revisit. Um, you know, like uh, um, I, like uh, Dirk Mags, like I mentioned, um, Hitchhiker's oh, yeah. Guide, of course. And yeah. then um, I really like Matt Watts. All of his things are permanently on the iPod. Um, I'm going to have to listen to Dirk Meg's Superman. I don't think I've gotten it. I've listened to Gemini Apes, and I've listened to his Batman Nightfall. Oh, I haven't listened to Gemini Apes. What did you think of that? I really enjoyed it. It was interesting. It was fun. Um, That's an original piece of science fiction by him, too, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's not adapted from something. It's something he wrote, I think. No, and it's it feels like a comic. It really does. All of his, you know, all those things. They they have this real, you know, genuine comic feel to it, which I love. Uh Uh, growing up with comics, I was you know a huge comic nerd. Yeah, and I have to you know I I I loved his stuff. In fact, I still get people yelling at me, but I honestly think the guy who does the voice for the Joker in uh, Nightfall is my is to me my ultimate voice for the Joker, even more than Mark Hamill. Oh, and people, yeah. that's, that's people freak stuff. out. But he did such a good job of the Joker. Stars Christopher yeah, Lee. Chance, Gemini stars Christopher Lee. Wow. Yeah, maybe yeah. you've heard this already, but uh, an American werewolf in London is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dirk Maggs did that. I thought it was brilliant. I loved it. Yeah, no, I don't think I've heard that one yet, but I oh. do have it somewhere, so yeah, I'll have it's, to It's listen. really terrific. There's just so much. And yeah. Yep. I, yeah, no, I, I think... Um, Obviously, I'm I'm biased towards. I've listened. I listen to audiobooks and I listen to audio dramas. Audiobooks I end up listening to in the summertime when I need to have more time to sit down and figure out. Um, and audio and audio drama I listen to constantly just because uh, I I just enjoy it more. It's, well, I, it's I, interesting. I found, oops, I'm sorry. And I'm just going to say one thing you did say that 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 has I've always wondered about. And it's like, well, I keep asking, well, why the hell isn't water drama more popular? Why is it that people are like nuts about downloading any kind of music? It doesn't even matter if it's stuff they like and putting it on their iPod and not downloading more audio drama. And I always ask the question, is it because musical music is so much more replayable? And you, you just said that audio drama, you re- listen to audio drama again and again. But 
I think people listen to the same music over and over again, and that's what makes it easier for them to want to purchase it. Whereas sometimes yeah. audio drama isn't ha- doesn't have that same kind of re-listen value. Yeah, one of the things that um, that I've mentioned in the past, um, and this is again, it's just my opinion, but I've found um, listening to an audio drama in a car is usually pretty difficult because the sound doesn't quite work you know i'm sure if you had a really nice car that was you know really soundproof yeah, the road audio drama would sound really good but you know i have never owned such a car so <laughs> you you uh uh play an audio drama uh, an example that i had is the first time i ever heard lord of the rings the bbc version uh, audio drama i remember i got what? it from the library and i put it in the player in my car and i was driving home and it was like a cacophony it was it was sounded terrible and for the longest time i thought man this just stinks you know i was like why would people listen to that and then i listened to it in the headphones this was probably two years later and uh hey this is really good you know so but i i think that the ambient noise in the car makes audio drama not as effective in in a car so I, I think a person, if a person's going to listen to a story, I think on a drive a person would tend to listen to an audio book rather than an audio drama. And, okay. Uh, th- that's that's what I think anyway. I agree. That makes sense. I, I never thought of it that way. I um, I try to I, even when I'm listening in a car, I often have uh, either I have a, a headphone in my head more often than not, yeah. which is probably illegal. I probably and I, I think say. that that's vital. I mean. Yeah, uh, you listen to an audio drama in the headphones, and you get the full effect of it. Um, yeah, that's. Uh, I yeah. complained for the longest time about Audible because you download an audio drama from Audible, and it's still in mono. Right. Uh, but now, not anymore, I guess. So. Oh, they fixed it, have they? They fixed that's it. Cool. They have this new enhanced format, and then they put out Bradbury Thirteen, um, and nice. I downloaded a Sound of Thunder, and yeah, it was in stereo. That's one of the oh, best good. ones too. I love that one. That's a great story, isn't it? Yeah, Sound it's of Thunder. a great audio drama, too. They did a terrific it, job. Who did the audio nice. drama version of it? Um, uh, it's actually out of Utah. Yeah, so. it, was, uh, oh. it was University of episodes, Brigham uh, Young. Brigham Young University did it, yeah, and I don't know. Because they did do an X-1 version of it as well. Mm-hmm. Which is So it's been done a couple of times. Sound of Thunder? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I think they did a gun for dinosaur. I don't think they did a sound. Oh, you're right. They did a gun for dinosaur. My Which mistake. Is similar. But yeah, similar, not the same. Yeah, I got that wrong. I have to tell you, I don't know how much of uh, CBC audio dramas and such have you guys listened to in the past. I've um, listened to a lot. Scott's heard whatever I've sent him. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard. Uh, isn't Nightfall there? Uh, CBC. Yes, loved those. Yes, but I have, I've heard so few. And Vanishing Point, of course. Of Vanishing Point is great. I'm trying to find um, Booster McCrane PM. So if you, ever, if you ever come across that, let me know. Oh, I haven't heard of that Booster one. Booster McCrane P- PM is a great sort of um, comedy uh, satire on politics between Canada and the United States. They did a second series of it because it was so popular, and the second series wasn't nearly as great as the first. But I love the first series. came out just around the same time as Hitchhiker's Guide, so it would be in the 80s at some point. But I they used to have a guy by the name of um, – Maitland, Alan Maitland, oh, yeah. uh, who, did, who did a Fireside series. Fireside Al. Fireside Al, exactly. 
and uh, he, he they called him Front Porch Owl in the summertime and Fireside Owl at you know, Christmas. I think there was I, a Halloween Owl as well. I can't remember. Yeah, I have his. Uh, oh, Graveside have, Owl. That's what it was. Uh, <laughs> there you go. I have a CD of his Christmas stuff, and uh, the my favorite of all time is his reading of the uh, the Shepherd. Yeah, that's the that's the most popular one of all time, I think. And uh, there's a really I was going home one night uh, on Christmas Eve because they'd always have him do the Shepherd on Christmas Eve, and it was during a snowstorm, and I could not see in front of my face, and I got stuck in the snow, stuck about two and a half miles from my house, and I'm listening to the Shepherd. And uh, it was pretty scary because I didn't know it was so, so cold and so bad wind out there. I didn't think I was going to get out um, for hours. And some guy out of nowhere came by with his pickup truck and pulled me out and I got home. So it added a little extra to that. I'll always remember that show listening to it. Then I listened to it a couple of times throughout the years on on New Year's. But just having that experience of this guy who came out of nowhere and 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 got and shepherded me home to a certain degree <laughs> after listening to the shepherd. And then you found out afterwards he was actually been dead for fifty years. <laughs> exactly. Well, no, but the thing is, I tried to find out who he was, and he wasn't anybody from there. Nobody knew of him, so that was weird. See? But it's you know he was obviously just this guy coming from one place to another on Christmas Eve as well, with who had a big enough had a tow a tow chain and a, and a pickup truck to be able to help me out with that. So. But yeah, it was the same kind of feel, which was kind of cool. So, so. Uh, I wanted to go back to that um, Prime Minister show you said. What was it yes. called? Lester McCrane. Booster McCrane. B o o s t e r McCrane. P M. Um, is that is it something along the lines of that uh, CBC miniseries by Paul Gross? You know, H two O. Is it something oh, like that? I didn't hear that one, so I don't know. Uh, uh, that's a television series. Yeah, I see. I I was. <laughs> I was far more involved in CBC radio than I ever was in CBC television. Which well, is weird. that's because CBC radio is much better than CBC television generally. It is. I I didn't even get into Paul Gross's uh, famous uh, role in, in Due South. My sisters did, but it didn't it didn't really interest that me. That was CTV, though. <laughs> oh yeah, he did that on TV. How do you know more about this than I do? Because <laughs> because I like I like everything good that's Canadian, and okay. and you know what. Paul Gross is about half of that. He um, is amazing. He's he's so talented. Director, writer, actor. He really knows his stuff. Did you ever watch Sci Factor? Uh, no. Wait, is that the Chronicles of the Paranormal? That's the one. I I haven't. I saw part of it and I I wanted to vomit. So you have to watch the first season. Once they brought Matt Frewer in, the show was done. Uh, the first season was really cool. I really liked the first season. I, it's not that I hate Matt Frewer. I love Matt Frewer. Max Headroom was awesome. Uh, <laughs> oh, he's terrific in intelligence, and he was on Da Vinci's Inquest as well. Oh, he's been great in a lot of things. But I just think that they 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 moved away from what worked in Sci Factor originally. I don't see I don't see that on his list of uh, of um, Paul Gross's list of pr- productions. Is that oh, no, no. He didn't do that. I was just oh, talking okay. about Canadian shows. Okay. Uh, I think the last Paul Gross thing I saw was when he did Men with Brooms. So, oh, that was ages ago. That was ages ago. He's done more since then. Well, yeah, he did This series, H2O, is terrific. It, it's okay. a mystery series. It's, it's, all, it's alternate history, basically. Oh, neat. Um, I love alternate yeah, history. Yeah, and basically what it is is it's a mystery series. 
the prime minister dies, and his son uh, is uh, gives a great speech at the funeral. And Which prime minister? Did the, is it not nobody from history, or is no, it no historical prime minister? Okay. Um, the prime minister dies. His son gives a great speech at the funeral. It's televised, and just like with Trudeau, you know, he's sort of swept into office and he replaces his father as the prime minister. But he's got an agenda, a hidden agenda, okay. and that it's uh, some sort of um, uh, something to do with the exportation of water to the United States, which is a real issue, right? It's a oh, real, thanks. a real issue in reality. Well, this show, this show is about that, and it's a murder mystery. Who who yeah. did the murder? And uh, there's a sequel series called The Trojan Horse, which is just as amazing. Um, really terrific uh, stuff. I, I, I wish Paul Gross did some audio drama because he would do amazing. Yeah, it's a miniseries. Both of them are. Mm. Well, there's there's a guy who uh, I loved uh, who had one of the best voices in audio drama as far as I'm concerned. He was in um, – he did the uh, computer voice in um, Johnny Chase, Secret Agent of Outer Space, the kids' ones they did in, in, on CBC back in the 80s. get a lot of emails about that show. Oh, it's a great show. Do you really get a lot of emails? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, th- did I tell you my horrid story about that show? I don't know. I actually went to CBC Radio, uh, went to this actual studio, and I said, I'd like to buy this series. I grew up with this. I love this series. It was so much fun. And the lady looked at me and said, okay, that'll be $30 an episode. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and there's like five years of episodes, like in the, you know, maybe four seasons. I forget how many seasons there are. But I just looked at it and I went, you've got to be kidding me. But it's it's the it's the agreements they've made with all the different unionized parties and they can't even sell their own stuff. It's frightening. Even I, there's a, a situation that's going on where uh, Jeffrey Adams wanted to be able to put uh, nightfall on his new internet radio station and he contacted CBC and they basically said, Nope, can't air it. Yeah. Hey Jesse, you know. surely this is a good spot for a apocalypse Al comment. <sighs> apocalypse Al. Apocalypse Al <laughs> is, uh, Audio drama paid for, produced, and finished uh, for CBC that has ne- yet to air. Written by J. Michael Straczynski of Babylon 5. Oh, man. I heard about that. They they paid him. They hired him. They brought him in. They recorded it. It's all finished. It's never aired. <sighs> now, it could be really crappy. Nobody's ever heard it. How would I, how would we know? But what's it been like four years since since it was recorded? Yeah, at least. And so every time I end a post with anything about CBC, I, I do a little Cato the Elder uh, style ending to the speech, which is, and Carthage must be destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> so I love no matter what, Straczynski. I just want to say that there. J. Michael Straczynski and Rod Serling are like two major uh, writing uh, uh, gurus in, in my life when it came to people that I, I would love most to be able to write like. Um, I really appreciated both of their writings. And I actually got a chance to write an email to J. Michael Straczynski recently and just say thanks. And he wrote back, and I thought, awesome, really cool. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.